This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to A Bit of Culture. And with me, Cam Rastan, today we have the returns of, he is, well, he's, he's a consultant. And, and and I just know him as, as Mr. Tech Guy on BFM. Oh, well, I know him as many other things, actually. Uh, Matt Armitage. Hi, Cam. Yes, um, actually, I just fix iPhone screens. <laughs> well, that was more than I know. And uh, he's a uh, educationalist. A musician. He is the Bob Dylan of Bungy, Asmil Yunor. Hello, hello. Great to be back. Great to have you here. And our <laughs> three topics this week are: topic number one is touring, a spiritual journey. Uh, topic number two is what do supermarkets say about us? And finally, topic number three is can you learn to appreciate classical music or indeed any other kind of uh, alien form of music without knowing history and context and just everything? So top number one, touring. And when we say touring, we mean being on the road as a musician, Asmil, yeah. a spiritual yeah. journey. Yeah, it is, man. Uh, I just, yeah, it's, this is still in my head because I just did two tours back to back. It was in the US. Then, uh, I came back, I went on tour with an uh, Indonesian singer-songwriter, Rul Dawis. Uh, was, uh, we, we played eight cities around the peninsula in 10 days. Uh, I also kind of helped plot the tour route, so kind of like a de facto tour manager. But, um, but in terms of, yeah, there, there's, this, there's this quote from the film Fight Club, uh, which, I, which I, it just crossed my mind, where I think one of the characters... I think it was a narrator, or was it the Tyler Durden? He said something along the lines like, if you wake up in another city, do you wake up as another person? You know? Um, and that's the, the sort of, uh, I think that's one of the things I enjoy about touring is, is that, you know, you, you kind of dislodge from your, your usual routine. I think sense of, I wouldn't say comfort, uh, but also, you know, it's, I think just being dislocated, I think I find that very fascinating as touring. Just to give a bit of context, though, when you said you went to the States, are we talking how many dates did you do? And were you on your own doing it? Or is it like other people? I went in my band, Asmail and uh, Trilasia. In uh -huh. May, we were invited to this blues, uh, we were not blues, but it was a music festival called Beale Street uh, Music Festival. I've heard Historic of that. Beale Street, I've, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in Memphis. So it was fascinating. Uh, it was a pilgrimage. I, I told everybody that, of course, I got to visit Sun Studio and, you know, uh, Graceland, Stacks, you know, um, and we played two dates there, uh, the festival. So our, our schedule was very tight and we, and it was a bit last minute. So we I couldn't plan a proper extensive tour. So we only played four shows, but uh, it was three cities. So that was ex as extensive as we could get. That was so this, and this was obviously then without your family, but with your yeah, band. Yeah. yeah. Just the band, yeah. Yeah. And um, so you said it was a spiritual journey. Are you a different person now, Asmil? Uh, every tour, I think you come back mm -hmm. uh, different, man. Um, it's, it's, I mean, you see, like, like the center of the universe of so called live music, people always say, oh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's cities, right? Like, you know, a, lot of, a lot of musicians in Malaysia don't really tour because it doesn't make economic sense. I think a lot of indie or underground musicians do. Um, but I think part of the... It's a campaign, essentially, when you think about it. 
in brass tacks about touring. Essentially, you're playing smaller towns and because you have audiences that probably um, are in waiting or people who just discovered you because you played there. And I think it's a very important thing. I think it's often forgotten by when we talk about like like the arts in Malaysia, it tends to be very Klang Valley centric, you know, um, without considering the smaller towns. Yeah. But how did you go down in Memphis, Tennessee? How did I go down or how did it go down? How did it go down? How did it go? One was great, man. Um, the, the organizers um, got in touch with us, a bunch of Malaysians. Um, if you're tuning in, uh, this goes to Camila, Chi, Lucas and gang. Um, it's uh, they, they, they brought compounds and flags. The first day we played, for us of dinner, then um, and the angels. They, we we told them we were we we're touring, and there was a donor who who sponsored our van, which we had paid for. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, so Malaysians mm-hmm. out there, you know, um, connect mm-hmm. with with uh, with our sojourners out there. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, so, uh, so can I can I ask you, Matt? Matt, have you ever been on tour? I don't think I haven't. I mean, I no, I haven't. Mean. I mean, I, I've I've been on the other side, the event organizing side, but obviously that tends to be fixed in in one place. So, um, no, not uh, not on a tour, but certainly in terms of um, providing the the backline and the the promotion and uh, all of the other aspects of uh, of kind of one off gigs as part of other artists tours but does it did it feel very spiritual did you feel like you were you're part of somebody else's spiritual journey or, or yeah? doesn't sound very pa- spiritual to me by the way not particularly but then um a lot of what i was doing was a much more of the kind of large-scale commercial end so you're just part of a, a money-making machine that's moving from one place to another and everything's kind of governed by uh contracts and you're dealing with the management rather than the artists so the artists are free to go on their spiritual journey because there are all of these other people in the background doing all of the yeah. non the non kind of spiritual stuff but i was interested um asmil in in terms of how how have audiences evolved over the years because we often look at you know how artist performances have evolved but you're looking from the other perspective how has the kind of audience reaction evolved over you know the course of your career it's changed i think uh i mean touring is not something that was normal 10 years ago i, I used to do it a lot alone um usually you know because I, I do it myself i complete um independent diy so i think what's changed is that 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 the most important thing is places to play. I think that's the most, because without a place, there's no audience, right? So, so I think it's changed the last decade plus. There, there's smaller, like in those this recent tour with with Rule Dawis, where we play mostly cafes, smaller venues, um, and these are places that you know they generally don't have a budget, but you you gotta have merch on the road, and that that's the main thing, because now the instinct is not to have any merch, but of course audiences have changed because you get. At least now that, that there's more awareness of like, oh, there's a band coming to town. Now let's check him out. Um, probably in the past, like, what are you doing here? Why do you come to this town? You know, it's strange that you're playing here. But uh, I think this is this is the largest circuit or network that that I think I think needs needs to grow. I mean, it's growing now. There's a lot of bands that that tour, um, especially indie bands. But I think. Uh, I've always toured mostly solo because it's just from a 
uh, cost effective and easier to move around. So audiences have changed. I think like like there's some big indie bands playing in in Sabah and Sarawak from KL. Mm. Um, there's a great band called No Good, and they you know they 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 they, they sing a Kelantanese dialect. They play in Sarawak, and I saw a video and people in Sarawak are singing along in Kelantanese dialect. I mean. <laughs> You want to talk about uniting the country? I mean, like this is the way. It's not. It's not this top-down thing, you know. We yeah. write an official song that's government-funded, always no, no, from no. the root. <clears throat> but yeah. Asmil, then uh, describe to me then the the spiritual oh. <laughs> journey aspect. I think it's just a sense of displace, displacement. Uh, you you're meeting new people. There's a lot to absorb, and you you're seldom in a place long enough. Most at most twelve fifteen hours. You you check in, sound check play and then you mingle a bit um, most of the time it's always better to have tour buddies and on this this tour there were several uh, fellow artists uh, there's Azlan Ramli Quartet Sounds of Kites these guys were around with us um, got to know the guitarist of, uh, of Rudawi Stanley awesome guitarist but um, but yeah that, that I think because because you you have conversations you're on the especially the long drive because um, we do it all ourselves um you know, you you also question at the end of the night sometimes. Why am I doing this? Oh, okay, I'm in a new town. Um, and I think that sense of 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 really seeing places uh, for the first time, um, taking different paths. To me, that's very spiritual because you're really in in you're in God's land, as they say. You know, you're out there, mm-hmm. um, and you're not you're not getting rich. You're not you know all these other things. You know, the motivation is something that's not commercial. Um, I think that's why it gets spiritual because you you're connecting with people and in different places and realizing that we're all one, you know, sounds abstract, but I just, I don't know how to put it, but just, I think that sense of displacement forces the spirituality element. Yeah. You, you really like sound like you love the experience. Cause normally, you know, when we hear from musicians, it's like, oh, it's such a chore, you know, day after day. Yeah, I, don't know I guess, I yeah. I guess it's a chore if, if, if like a job, I guess for us, uh, of course we, we love doing this and I organize the tours. So I get to, so it's all self-organized. But mm. again, if you, if I think if you're part of a bigger machinery, like maybe the shows that, uh, that Matt helps does, you know, these big bands and, you know, it's obligation, right? They've got to play, but they, you got to maintain the same energy. I'm mean, especially, uh, commercial artists because there there there's a certain sense of spectacle you know and that can be I, I can imagine that can be very tiring and you know very draining for for any artist mm. yeah. who has you know <laughs> to maintain that you know okay well we have to we have to take this show on the road we've got to move on but uh yeah. I, I i hope you had fun throwing uh televisions out of hotel windows and uh driving That's motorbikes a myth, on man. <laughs> That's did, myth. did you drive motorbikes on the the floors no nothing like that i just pulled my luggage man nowadays yeah. even if you want to throw a tv it's not fun it's all flat screen man <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> okay well uh we'll ask you later if you've got any more dates that we can we can see you at and um sure. but uh matt armitage topic number two supermarkets yeah. what do they supermarkets. say about well i've just come back from the uk um, and while I was in the UK, I spent a lot of time in supermarkets. I know that doesn't sound particularly <laughs> exciting. I was, uh, uh, for for various reasons to do with the purpose of the trip, I was uh, uh, often visiting supermarkets twice a day. So I was. So my my biggest kind of contact with other people while I was away was actually in supermarkets, and. 
I started to think about how they represent the character of the place that you're in. And it hit me again when I came back. So I was doing something, um, you know, particularly European. I was in the supermarket and looking for Dijon mustard. Now, if I'd been in the UK, I would have had dozens of choices of different styles of mustard. Um, here in Malaysia, of course, I was faced with a shelf full of dozens of brands of chili sauce and one brand of mustard if I was kind of lucky. But, you know, I, I don't really want to talk about the the how supermarket shelves are different from one country to a, another because, you know, the, the cultural differences are kind of obvious. Uh, you have different cultures, different palates, different foods. We prepare the foods in different ways, different food regulations, whatever. But I was more interested in this idea of what we do in them, the way we shop, the way we behave in them, and what they tell us about the state of a nation and whether they represent this kind of uh, microcosm of society and if they're, you know, this reflection of, you know, kind of like taking a, a national temperature check. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Because, you know, just to put it in a bit of context, in, in the UK, there are many towns where the Tesco supermarket is the largest employer. Um, I, I mean, that's that's the town that I spent my time. I mean, my 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 hometown is one of those towns. The, yeah. the Tesco is the biggest thing there. But I mean, I was visiting a, a lot of different supermarkets around the, the region. But what I saw was that a lot of the behaviors in those supermarkets was kind of similar and it wasn't a case of you know this is the this is the high level supermarket this is the budget supermarket what i was seeing was kind of a reflection of sort of national attitudes that you see in in social media or or on the street you know the 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 british have this reputation for being polite and orderly but walking around the supermarket everyone's just impatient everyone's yeah. pushing you out of the way yeah. and the you know you you compare it to supermarkets in malaysia which tend to be you know the aisles tend to be a lot narrower the supermarkets tend to be a lot more crowded but everyone's kind of polite everyone's kind of good natured everyone's making space for each other but i just found myself being barreled at by mm. people wow. with with yeah. trolleys people people sort of tutting and just this this kind Absolutely. of I, I, I know what you, I know exactly what you're saying, Matt. And and if you're in the UK and you are an old person, heaven help you. Wow, uh, really, really. Better. Oh yeah. yeah, the impatience is just—it's wow. really shocking. Uh, I mean, it's really, you brought brought up supermarket because when when we first landed in Memphis, the first one of the first stops we went was the supermarket. Right. And it was because you know we Memphis is kind of the south, right? So. So it was very colorful. I was just walking past the aisles and there were different people in different aisles, right? People would be more chill there. It wasn't not like how you describe the UK, but it was like a sample of the different uh, conversations. Everybody was very loud on the phone. It was an American thing. So people, there was a lady on the phone, black lady, and she's, she, I think she's angry at her husband. So she was very animated. It's like, what the hell saying that, mom? Then the next row, there was an elderly couple having conversation in the, the Southern dialect. So for me, each aisle was watching a, like a trailer of my favorite Southern show. And I've always had this fascination with the Southern accent. So, so, so for me, that, I, I think that, that's a good point. I think the first stop you should always do, I think, if you come to a new place, it's always a supermarket because it gives you a sample of the behavior. That's interesting. I thought that way, Eddie. 
But was it also a bit strange, Asmil, in a way that you go to the United States and you could understand every conversation you were overhearing? <laughs> yeah. Because if, if I mean, in I, Malaysia, I, I mean, there are, there are going to be uh, oh, languages you don't understand. That's true. That's, true. It's like, that's why I say it. it's, like, it's like watching a trailer or TV. Mm. You understand every word because we consume mostly American uh, pop culture anyway, right? So, so it, was, it was very trivial to me looking that in that so, supermarket. So, Matt, you went to supermarkets in towns big and small. I, have, I cannot imagine what, what tour you were on. And I don't know if it was a spiritual <laughs> journey for you. But, uh, <laughs> the, the, the spiritual journey of the frozen food, yeah. <laughs> so you went, as I say, towns big and small. Towns big and small, and you know everything from the Marks and Spencer down to the the, the local Morrisons, uh, which is, you know, theoretically at the sort of uh, more cost conscious end of the market. But I, just to pick up on Asmil's point about understanding every conversation, that wasn't the case in the supermarkets I was in because a lot of the staff are Eastern European, uh, yeah. so they might be talking to each other in in whatever languages they're, they're comfortable with. Uh, there were a lot of people walking around the shelves talking in different languages. I mean, um, I'm not great at spotting Eastern European languages, but I think, you know, there was Bosnian and Polish and Latvian, um, all, of, all of these languages going on, a few African dialects as well. And to me, that's, that's great. That's fantastic. But you can see that that's also part of the friction that it's causing with some of the the other shoppers because they're going past people and they're making faces at people who are saying things that they don't understand as though, uh, yeah. you know, you know, the, but again, as you were saying in Malaysia, there's always people talking in a language you don't understand. And it's just part of the, the, the culture and the norm. It's just background noise. But of course it's more of a kind of assault on the senses to a lot of people, you know, rightly or wrongly in, in the UK or other countries. Now you you are you are British and you haven't lived there for a long time. So this a magical mystery tour that you were on around the supermarkets. One day you're going to tell me what it was about. Um, it, did did you feel that there was a, a change over time? Yeah, very much so. I mean, it, it used to be again. It's the the lack of politeness. I think is the is the thing that has been lost. I mean, you know, the the British are known as the people who who queue. And you can see the the levels of irritation uh, of people queuing, especially at the self uh, checkouts. Oh, God. you know, yeah, e exactly. So you know, that's that's a culture that's only just coming into to Malaysia. So you know, some some of these are you know, there is a technological aspect to to this as well. You know, we still have here. Um, you have a person who's checking you out. They're packing your bags for you. Of course, all of that has kind of been lost over there. You're taking a trolley and you're still trying to check out a trolley full of food at a self-checkout thing with a uh, some kind of way scale that won't take as much food as you've got. Nobody's oh, really no. helping you. So I don't, I don't know. there's, yeah, exactly. So there's <laughs> just this, this frustration at, at every layer. I mean, they've even introduced in some of the supermarkets, they've got those barcode scanning guns. So you go round and you scan everything as you put it into your trolley and you just tot up as you go out. So there's not really even a, a checkout procedure for, for those. But again, there's this technological barrier. And as you said, if you're old, it's yeah. very, very difficult it really because is. there are very few human staff checkouts. Nobody helps you 
pack mm. and everybody is just giving you attitude if you're a bit slow in getting your card out if heaven forbid you're paying in money cash mm. rather than uh, rather than using plastic you know it, it it's become this this place of hostility rather than this place that you take pleasure in going to to get all this lovely food that you take home and consume with your friends and your family yeah. wow. i know exactly what you're saying matt when i go visit my mother i know exactly what you're saying yeah so uh asmil that's this is um what we can look forward to in malaysia i suppose yeah but uh, speaking of uh, when we were in nashville we walked into a supermarket and we didn't realize that it was a mexican supermarket nashville so that yeah. was different so there was in the language a lot of people speaking language didn't understand but i started noticing why is this supermarket full of like a whole row of beans <laughs> different chili beans then i realized oh this oh it's, okay all right but but that's scary right that the, the whole tech thing and and how it's affecting us um i see the future of malaysia there yeah it's scary man yeah um, uh, well, we must move on. We got, um, impatiently, we're going to move on, Matt. Sorry, no time. But I, I would just say that my mother, born in 1933, she goes to these supermarkets. And I say, how did you shop before the supermarket came along? She can't remember. <laughs> like, did we shop wow. in supermarkets? We've always shopped, surely. No. So, uh, and then so uh, just quickly, the that, what was the, is it Night of the Living Dead? The, the, one of the, um, Zombie movies, George Romero zombie movies. Yeah, right? is it Dawn, Dawn of the Dead, the one that's in Dawn, the shopping mall? One in the shopping mall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. a fantastic film. Yeah. It is. Yeah. I've seen that so many times. <laughs> yeah. Of all of the Living Dead films, that's the one that I go back to the most often. I, I think it's one yeah. of the best kind of social satires ever. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we move on, take a short break. When we come back, I'm going to ask, uh, can we learn to appreciate something like classical music if we don't know history and context? Here on A Bit of Culture, BFM 89.9. And we're back with myself and Matt Armitage and Asma Yunor. And now, a while ago, I was talking to producer Ali Johan, who he knows his music. He knows music. Um, he programs the music for BFM and so... He knows the history, the the ins and outs, but he was saying that he 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 was having a uh, try at trying to appreciate classical music, but he just couldn't do it. It didn't make sense to him, and he couldn't enjoy it. And he asked, you know, if if it was possible to learn to. And I suddenly thought, no, I don't think you can. I I like classical music, not all, um, but yeah, I guess whenever I hear it, I hear I hear history, I hear context i know that this piece was from the 1830s which is going to be different from the 1870s there are progressions and when i listen to it and i think context free it's just noise there's no objective universal sound that the people can appreciate from around the world i don't think but from maybe west african beats perhaps um and so I, I just want to know, because you two are, are musicologists, do you think it's possible to, to, to plop a piece of music in front of what, someone and they can just instantly go, oh, this is understandable. I love this. Or, or does everything need to have context and education? Matt? I, I mean, I, I don't think it needs context. I think it's... I think it's quite simple. You you put the music down in front of someone and you kind of like it or you don't. I mean, I I I like classical music. I don't know much about the 
the history. I don't know much about the the context. Uh, I mostly know, do I enjoy listening to it? And it's it's very simple. It's the way that I react to every kind of music form or most art forms. It's just simple. Do do I enjoy it or do I not enjoy it? You know, I've I've tried that idea of uh, can you educate yourself into liking something? And, you know, opera suggests that, no, I cannot. Mm. There is just nothing that I can do because as a musical art form, it doesn't speak to me in any way. But I can hear a piece, whether it's uh, contemporary classical music by Max Richter, whether it's something from further in the, the in the past and i haven't heard it before and there will instantly be something in it that grabs me whether it's a chord progression whether it's a melody or a motif you know you, you things just resonate with you okay uh Asmil? yeah i mean i agree with matt i mean i think context you know is 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 only important if you want to find out kind of environment how the the, the, the song was composed etc or the roots and stuff but as, as a piece of music i think it's more interesting if you don't know anything and you just listen to it maybe after is i think finding out the context is often after but you know you, you can learn i mean like there's a lot of kids out there who are forced to learn piano uh, i learned for a while till grade three and i had a real dislike of classical music because of that now i'm trying to appreciate it back because you know you caught you <laughs> i think there's a lot PTSD, especially kids with tiger parents who are forced to play piano. I have friends who studied all the way grade 12 and they they quit music after that. So, so I mean, I think appreciating music is better if it's not forced onto you. And I think that aspect of context is only important if you're trying to understand the, the layers of how the, the music is made. If you're studying music, I think the context is very important. But if you're a casual listener, I think, you know, as it is, um, you know, maybe be surprised. Sometimes you, you yeah. listen like, oh. Well, you know? I, okay, I'm not so sure. I mean, like a symphony is, say, like, could be like 45 minutes long. Mm-hmm. And it's split into four parts, but it, it's just meandering sounds. Just, <laughs> they're just, you know, there's no tune you can whistle or you, you start whistling and then disappears and goes somewhere else. Don't ever listen to I mean, Bruckner. I mean, by the way. I mean, that, that, that's the context of when the music was produced, right? Because that time people would go to a concert hall and sit there for 45 minutes. Yeah. And of course, we, now, now everything's been shortened, right? With, with TikTok and whatnot, you know, they're composing one minute songs. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. But the two of you, again, musicologists that you are, have you discovered uh, genres of music that come from, from contexts very alien to your own backgrounds that you? instantly felt that you could appreciate that yeah. uh well Asma, what 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 have you heard that sort of instantly made sense i mean what do you mean by from a different place what, i mean like you know uh 20, 20 odd years ago there was this whole world music um phenomena where suddenly everyone's li- listening to uh Yusundor or or <clears throat> and, and and stuff and everyone's saying oh i really get this and i love it and, I, and then i and i kind of think well you know do you know do you really know what he's what it's about um but I, but there I is for, a... I, I think for me is that how the how the sound of it is more important like the yeah. first time i heard like is all delta blues recordings very scratchy stuff charlie Patton was when i first heard them was like well it sounds like it's from some some dark reaches of the world um yeah. it wasn't so much what he was singing about 
but how it sounded, I think that 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 often strikes me more than what's being said. I think. Yeah, I know what you mean. Is I agree with you also with that kind of delta blues. Be one person and, and he's creating rhythm and blues. <laughs> yeah, but also uh, that distant that distant voice, like it's transmitting yeah. from elsewhere. You know, it's recorded work, but I love that that sense of mystery. Yeah. Um, uh, I like that. I like not knowing things sometimes. Yeah. Matt, have you uh, discovered genres that shouldn't well, make sense to you? I don't know if it shouldn't make sense. I mean, you you mentioned world music, and I I I was working at a, a world music record label many years ago in in London around that time of the world music explosion, and before that, I'd been working at HMV in the 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 world music department in well the the, the back room of of there. Um, but it wasn't that that music was alien or didn't make sense because the the rhythms had already filtered through. I mean, when you listen to um, you know West African rhythms, when you listen to a lot of the the, the South American stuff, the rhythms are already there in um, funk, in disco, in rhythm in rhythm and blues, um, even in uh, even in a lot of the electronic music as well. So when you listen to a lot of the um, the West African music, which essentially is based on, you know, snare snare beats. It's not it's not uh, very sort of deep drum sounds. There's a a, a lot of um, hi hats and snares, and that's hip hop. That's a lot of electronic music. That's a lot of techno. So it wasn't that it didn't make sense. It kind of joined the dots in a sense. Hearing all of this music from from other places, it it actually helped to extend that journey of the stuff that you already know, because you're seeing the, the roots that it comes from, as, as Mill was saying with, uh, with blues as well, you're, you're listening to those patterns that's coming through in the work of, you know, hits by Gary Moore or whoever it was during that kind of eighties, nineties period. So it's actually completing that map for you rather than beaming in from outer space as it were. So rhythm for you, Matt, would be a universal. No, I mean not not just not just the rhythm, but the um, the instrumentation and the um, arrangements as well. I mean, I I find it much more difficult to get into, for example, some of the Chinese classical music because the scales I don't understand mm. as well. See, I thought that, and then I got taken yeah. to a Chinese opera once, and mm. I was like, oh my god, this stuff is so funky. It was like it was really it was really good, but but, I was but, like, but exactly you you know you were in that space and it spoke to you. I guess yeah, but I um, th- so I often think of the 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 Voyager. So Voyager was the space probe that was sent uh, mm. uh, in, off to Jupiter and it's gone beyond, and it had uh, a gold plaque on it and a gold disc because in those days people had vinyl records, so they made a gold disc with sounds from planet Earth like whale sounds and and i think they had they had people saying hello in like 50 odd languages and they talked about trying to put music on there but then they realized there is no universal global music that people could could say oh that's the sound of earth let alone something that would make sense in in the universe so they left music off no there was music man was that yeah there was a gold disc yeah there was a gold yeah. disc on it and i think uh, included some classical music, including one uh, by a blues song by Blind Willie Johnson. So there was actually. Oh, there was. Oh, but, okay. Yeah, on the Voyager. I remember reading about this. Yeah, there was right. like a gold disc they included mm. in it. Mm. 
Yeah, along with um, uh, I think instructions of how to actually play the the music. They they left. Uh, I don't know whether they left it in in binary, but they left some kind of kind of coded instruction for how to actually listen to the music. Maybe yeah. that's why they never came. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, he probably deterred them. <laughs> so if if it does land on an alien planet, kind of like their equivalent of circa nineteen seventy, then they'll know what to do. But yeah, I mean, they'll probably think that the the world is uh, some deep cut from a Bob Dylan album from the uh, the mid nineteen seventies, and yeah. you know, we'll we'll awful, yeah. <laughs> anyway, okay, so you people are more optimistic then that um, people can appreciate sounds without uh, necessarily knowing the context, and if it pops out, it pops out. Yeah. I, th yeah. I think so. I mean, it's it's like you wouldn't say the same thing about literature. You wouldn't say that you need mm -hmm. to know the background of Charles Dickens to yeah. read Oliver Twist. Um, but when you compare, you know, say Jack Kerouac to Charles Dickens, there's a world of difference in the writing, in the in the rhythm, in the meter, mm -hmm. in the the style. But again, you know, a lot of people are irritated by the way. Kerouac wrote. Um, I'm irritated by the way that Dickens wrote with, you know, paragraphs that go on for an Stop eternity. It. Stop it now. Stop talking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love Dickens. He's the best. Um, okay, well, we move on then. Um, we move on to recommendations. We recommend something that we think might be of interest. And Asmil Yunor goes first. Ah, check out um, my Indonesian uh, friend, uh, singer songwriter, Rul Dawis. His, how you spell his name? R U double L. D-A-R-W-I-S. He's on Spotify. Check out his new album. It's called Kambali. It's fantastic because he 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 sings songs in English and, and Indonesian, but he co-write, he collaborates for, with the English lyrics. He doesn't really speak good English, but when he sings, you're convinced, like, well, English must be his, his first language. But um that that's was part of his artistry that I really admire. So check him out. Roll Dawis, his new album called Kambali. I think you've recommended him before, and uh, we'll we'll see if producer Hanif can uh, play us out with 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 one of his. Ah, yeah. Awesome. And uh, Matt, what's your recommendation? Uh, it's a show that's currently on uh, Apple TV called Silo, um, science fiction show. It's based on uh, a trilogy of books by an author called I think Hugh Howie, if I've got that right. The um, the drama takes uh, a lot of liberties with the book because I started watching it and didn't remember anything that was happening from the book. So I went back and uh, read the book again. And yeah, they basically have nothing to do with each other. Um, but it's an example of very taut storytelling. It's very claustrophobic. It takes place inside a community that's been sealed inside an underground silo, uh, 10,000 people for hundreds of years they have um very decaying 20th century technology and again it's a bit like a supermarket it's like this microcosm of uh, uh the best and worst of uh, society and it's um fronted by um i think rebecca ferguson a mm. swedish actress who mm. is just you know she's just absolutely spellbinding in the role uh it has a, a big name a big name cast and it's one of those shows where they kill off a lot of the big names in the first episode sorry if i'm giving too much away but it's 
it's one of those things where it's not the show that you think it is from the first episode and that's to its strength and its credit and yeah a lot of people have been uh, really raving about it it sounds very grim it's not grim it's not like handmade taily type grim um it's not it's not light there's not a lot of uh, humor in there but i wouldn't say it was as dark as something like succession for example which uh, although it, it it is supposedly a comedy is about as bleak as tv gets so it's certainly not on that kind of scale um well that's silo on apple tv you say apple tv yeah uh asmil uh, have you heard of it heard of it but i haven't, I haven't, I haven't caught up with it. yeah well so it sounds like one of those things you you will be teaching and to your <laughs> students at some point hey do you teach any tv to your students uh we, we i mean we focus on film but yeah. most students watch series nowadays, so yeah. that's part of sensibility. Yeah. Uh, okay, that's Silo, and um, I've been hearing a lot of good things. So uh, my my recommendation is, I was going to, should I recommend what I think might be a piece of classical music that I think is universal, that everybody will get? You can try. I can try. <laughs> um, uh, Bach, Cello Suite, number one. It's... Yeah, I mean, if you hear it, you'll recognize it from like TV shows and movies. It's short; it's about two and a half minutes, and it's it's one person and a cello, and it's it's amazing. And 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 Johann Sebastian Bach is the best. All right. Um. So Bach cello suite number one. He did he did like a, a hundred odd cello suites, and and they get a bit tiresome after a while. But the first one's the best one. Yeah. Um, so check it I'll out. Be I'll be back. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I'll, I'll ask uh, producer Hanif to see if he, he can play out one of those two. Uh, so that's my recommendation. And well, that brings us to the end of this week's show. So uh, only reminds me now to ask Asma Yunor, do you have any dates? Have you got another tour coming up? Anything we can catch you nah, on? I'm, I'm playing Medicari on 1st July with a band. Asmil and the Truly Asia. So come by Saturday night, uh, 1st July. Welcome the new month, halfway through the year. So hey, Asmil, like can yeah. I ask you a question? I've been reading I've been reading this magnificent book about the Beatles, and it's like huge. And one, one question about bands, okay, being in a band. Your bandmates, are they, are you, are they your friends? Yeah, they're my friends. I've had the pleasure of not auditioning people throughout my music career. Um, so the friendship and I think the chemistry matters more to me than the musical skills. Yeah. You should be able to play, of course, but I favor that more than a genius musician, but he's a complete, you know, mm. um, somebody vile. Uh, yeah. So they're all but, friends. But how about if somebody was completely vile, but you had great chemistry with them on stage? Can oh, happen. Yeah, yeah. I don't mind that too. Yeah. I mean, on stage, but if you're on the road, you got to, eat and be in a car with them hopefully they're not vile there too so <laughs> that, i must consider all these things um and with the with, with the rest of the crew too so yeah. i do a bit of that band management thing i've got several bands right see the chemistry who works or not you know um so but but, but, but like beatles was a unit so it's a bit different than when they grew up together and stuff you've not, you've I not made friends you've not i had... met friends along the way they, these right. aren't like my childhood friends you know 
But your spiritual journey that you were describing, I mean, the, the friendships that you have, that must be crucially important. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you become better friends at the end of the tour sometimes. I think most of the times I've never never seen anybody have a fallout so far. Fingers crossed. Yeah. 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 That's a good testing place, by the way. And I had to, even had to share bids, man. So it's not mm. all roses. Oh, well, well, when Matt does his next tour of uh, European supermarkets, uh, he has to be sure to choose the right uh, band. Oh, yeah, it's it's planned already. It's uh, it's going to be called the uh, Dynamic Pricing Tour. Um, I've planned it for 2024. <laughs> After we've switched off on this show, you've got to tell us what the hell you were up to. So, um, and I'd like to, so I'd like to thank Asmu Yunor. Thank you very much. And, okay. and I'd like to thank Matt Armitage. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you. And uh, myself, Cam Rustler, and please join us next week for another exciting episode of A Bit of Culture here on BFM 89.9. listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.